give him a praise tonight that's commensurate with how good he's been to you in this place. Come on, if he's been good to you, uh, somebody give him a mighty praise in this house. Hey! Let everything that happens praise ye the Lord. Woo. I love that line in the song. How can I forget? How can I forget? What you've done for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you knew the Bible said that before the song said that? One writer put it this way when he said, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Then he tells us why. He said, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not his benefits I wonder if there's anybody in the room this evening uh, that understands your living uh, with some benefits tonight uh, I'm living free from bondage uh, I'm living free uh, from addiction uh, I'm living with peace in my life uh, I'm living with favor uh, and anointing Somebody would take about 60 seconds uh, and praise him uh, because you remember uh, you 
for two days. He can do it for two weeks. And he can do it for two months. And he can take me all the way. If you believe it, shout yes. Shout yes. Shout yes. You know, we ain't supposed to have church like this on Tuesday nights. Woo! Some of y'all got to get going on that New Year's diet. Because you shout like all night. Oh, I can't do it all night. Oh. Hallelujah. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to give him a better praise this year than I did last year. Hey, hey neighbor, the body. Says to lay aside every sin and weight <laughs> that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Come on, I got a race to run this year. I got a race to run this year. I got some things I believe in God for. I got a miracle. With my name. Hey. Get me started. We'll be here singing all night long. Lord, I'm running. Trying to make a hundred. Lord, I'm running. Trying to make a hundred. 99 and a half won't do. Anybody else feel that way tonight? It just won't do. Just won't do. Just won't. It just won't. What y'all know about that? Just won't do. It just won't do. Do do do. Do do do. Do do do.
Amen. I just want to testify that today Patricia was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's you, Patricia. She's right here in the house of the Lord. Somebody give God a praise for what he's doing in her life tonight. Man, we're starting the new year off right. Hallelujah. Hey, Amen. I gave y'all a chance to shout because tonight I'm going to teach. Is that all right? Hey, Amen. Grab your Bibles tonight. We're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 22. While you're grabbing your Bibles and, and getting to your feet tonight, I want to take a brief opportunity to echo what has already been said. And I want to say personally, on behalf of this church and the beautiful first lady what a oh yeah that's right she beautiful we want to say how absolutely honored we are to have every one of our guests that are here in the house of the lord would you help me one more time rock church put your hands together come on we've got some guests that are here tonight we want you to know what a privilege it is to have you in the house of the lord and uh, we apologize for being so sedate and quiet tonight. Amen. But if you come back, we promise we'll make a little bit of noise in the house. Amen. But we're so honored to have you here in the house of God. And uh, God is doing so many incredible things at the Rock Church of Fort Myers. Anybody still leaping into the new year? Come on. Is anybody leaping into the new year with a quantum leap? Amen. If you were not here Sunday, uh, I desperately urge you to go back and uh, jump online and get in synchronization with what God is doing in this house for this year. Amen. We are believing God for some great, great big things. This is the year that dreams become reality. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell him I'm a dream chaser. Come on, I'm a dream chaser. I'm chasing my dream. I want you to testify to somebody else and tell them you might steal my coat, but you can't have my dream. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Anybody yet holding on tonight? Amen. Last Tuesday, uh, we took the opportunity to teach about foot washing. How many of you were here last week and remember that lesson? Amen, and uh, wanted to uh, give a precursor to us doing communion and foot washing. And let me just add this tonight, especially to those who may not be accustomed uh, to this ritual of the New Testament church. Jesus was very dogmatic about the importance of foot washing and communion in the church. So much so that he told his disciples, if, if you don't partake of this, you, you have no part with me. And if he told that to the 12, I wonder where that leaves us. Amen, somebody. And uh, if you are yet wrestling with the idea of foot washing, I urge you to spend some time praying in the Holy Ghost. Because there's two, two parts to foot washing. Number one, uh, the one whose feet is being washed if you are simply resistant and, and to, to, to foot washing because you're uncomfortable with your feet, can, can I just tell it like a T.I. is tonight? That's pride. 
that's part of why God instituted foot washing to cause us to face and humble ourselves. Amen. Secondly, when you are the one washing somebody else's feet, oh Lord, I can't imagine touching somebody. Again, can I, can I give you the theological explanation for what you're dealing with? Pride. Amen, somebody. It, it was purposeful what Jesus did because it is one of the most humble positions of servanthood that can possibly be demonstrated. And if my Jesus was able to do it, come on. Jesus told his disciples, if I, being your Lord, can do this, then ye ought to do this one for another. Can I get an amen in the building? So I urge you to spend some time in the Holy Ghost and uh, let, let God bring revelation to you. Amen. Uh, he knew what to do with his flesh. He put it on a cross and killed it. Amen. And uh, so this upcoming Sunday night, we will be participating in foot washing and communion. Amen. And uh, it will be a powerful, powerful time together as a church. And uh, there are not too many times that I stand behind this desk and speak as strong as I am tonight. But if you are a part of this church as your pastor, as your shepherd, as the bishop uh, here, I am asking you to, to be here and do not miss uh, what God is going to be doing in this house you are part of the body of Christ. Amen. And uh, so that will be happening this Sunday night. That being said, I want to take tonight as an opportunity uh, to teach about communion. Amen, somebody. And so you, you had your chance to dance, shout, run the aisles. And maybe you will during the lesson. I don't know. Amen. But, uh, but I, want, I want to teach tonight because... Uh, the word of the Lord says that his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not because they didn't know how to shout and dance. Amen. And so I want to make sure that I've got the foundation of the word under my feet. Amen. Amen, somebody. I'm not doing this just because I'm trying to go along to get along or I'm trying to be part of a, a social club. But I'm standing on the promises and established word of God in my life. Amen. Book of Luke chapter 22 is where I want to uh, begin reading. As a matter of fact, you can be seated. I'm just going to begin teaching here as we begin reading tonight. Luke chapter 22 and verse number 13 <clears throat> says, And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Tell your neighbor it was during the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Now, uh, let me address this for those who may have come from a Catholic background or have heard of this before, but we do not preach, nor does the Bible teach, uh, a, a doctrine called transubstantiation. The doctrine of transubstantiation teaches that when you partake of uh, the, the fruit of the vine and the bread, that it literally becomes the body of Christ. It's known as transubstantiation. The scripture does not teach that, nor do we preach that, because it is very clear when you continue to read the text right here, he says this, uh, that he gave it unto them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Listen, this do in remembrance of me. It is symbolism that he uses in order to bring to our remembrance what he has done for us. Somebody say amen. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup, here it is, the same thing. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's not his blood. It is for remembrance, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. I'm not going to read the rest of that. Uh, but you get the context and understand that communion was instituted by the Lord at the time of the Jewish feast of the Passover. It was not happenstance or by accident that they took communion and that all of this unfolded during the Passover. There was a divine sense of timing to what was happening. This foot washing, this, this taking of the bread and the fruit of the vine was in a sense the transfer of the old covenant of the Passover to the new covenant of the ultimate Passover lamb, which was Christ's broken body. Now, uh, for the sake of establishing this, especially some of you who may be new in, in studying the word of the Lord, uh, how many of you understand that the Passover, when you talk about the Passover, it literally is referring to the time when God delivers his people out of Egypt. And what he did is he had them put the blood of animals on the doorpost. And he said, when I pass over, that's where the word comes from. When I pass over you and I see the blood and so that time in Scripture is known as the Passover. And so I want to take a look at this in Scripture tonight. Follow with me in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1. We are reading the account of the Passover. Way back in the book of Exodus, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Why did he say that? Because he was bringing them out of bondage to become his people. He said, this is going to mark the beginning of time for you as my people. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, 
in the tenth day of this month, listen, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Somebody say a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Each house had to have a lamb. And if the household be too little for the lamb... In other words, if there was more meat than what could be consumed by that household, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for them. And I could stop and preach right here that the lamb is always too big for your house. God did not intend for your experience with the grace and the salvation of God to just be in your four walls of your house. When you understand the lamb's too big for my household, he said, you got to take it to your neighbor and tell him, I got some lamb for you and I got some lamb for you. Come on, soul winners. Tell your neighbor the lamb is too big for your house. Amen. He said, your lamb shall be without blemish. He qualifies the lamb. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the morning. There's significance, prophetic significance to all of this. And they shall take the, of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. There's significance to this because he did not want the last taste in their mouth in Egypt uh, to be pleasing. The last thing I want you to get the taste in your mouth uh, as you march out of Egypt uh, needs to be remembering how bitter it was. Remember how horrific that it was. I don't want you to tenderize the meat. I don't want you to put good seasonings on it. I want you to leave Egypt with a taste so bad in your mouth that you never want to go back there again. Come on, can I just ask, is there any witnesses in the building that when God gave you the Holy Ghost, you could still remember the bitter taste of the world that you were in and it's still with you today? I don't ever want to feel like that again. I don't ever want to be stuck where I was before. I don't ever want to come on. Is there anybody in the building that knows what it's like to march out of Egypt and say I never want to go back and taste that again. Amen. He said and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet. 
and your staff in your hand and ye shall eat it in haste. Why did he tell him to get ready? Because I'm about to open a door for you and when I open the door of deliverance, I don't want anything to slow you down. Start preparing yourself to be delivered. Gird up your loins. Get your shoes on. I'm about to bring you out of here. And then here's what he says in verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood, somebody shout the blood, shall be to you for a token upon the houses. You see this? The blood of the lamb shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There is the phrase, the key phrase that defines the Passover. Back in the day, growing up as a kid, there's an old song they used to sing. When I see the blood. Ain't nobody remember that song. When I see the blood. Any help in the building? When I see the blood, I will pass. Yeah, you got it. They used to sing about the Passover. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day, listen closely to verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Listen, ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance for Ever. He commanded them that you are going to turn what I'm going to do tonight into a feast of memorial for generations to come forever. You will take time every year and there will be a feast specifically to remember the Passover. And so the Passover was a memorial feast that was instituted for the nation of Israel and it was held for two primary reasons. Number one, it was to celebrate the miraculous deliverance of God's people from the tyranny of Egyptian bondage. It was a time every year for them to remember that God brought them out. You know, we can get so caught up in the year of blessing and miracles and dreams that we often lose sight of the simple thing and the simple testimony that he brought us out. I'm here because he, if he doesn't do anything else for me, he brought me out. If I don't ever get another blessing, if I don't ever get, come on, is there anybody in the building understand what I'm saying? If he never answers a prayer for me, if he never opens a door, if I never get a raise, if I never move into a new house or drive a new car, I got a testimony that he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that all by itself is enough for me to give him praise until the day that I die. That right there is enough 
enough for me to come to the house of God the rest of my days and give him the praise because in one place he said who in time past were not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained I got a reason to give him the praise because he brought me out this was one of the primary reasons and purposes for the Passover feast. Number two, it was to refresh that occasion in the mind of God's people every year so that they would never forget that it was God that delivered them and established them as a nation. And so this is the history that is the backdrop to Luke chapter 22 when Jesus assembles his disciples and begins to give them the cup and the bread. This is the historical background and the Hebrew mindset and understanding. And there is no question that the Passover was a type of Christ's future death. He is the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world and becomes our forever Passover Lamb. Amen? I want to take a look at this in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 9 verse number 15. Y'all know I love the book of Hebrews so I, I, I got to stay focused here because we, we'll get one verse in and just be gone the rest of the night. It says this, and for this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament. Now pay attention to the, the, the vernacular of legal uh, process that is used here. When do you need a mediator or mediation? It is when you are in a legal uh, process. But the, the scripture says uh, that he uh, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He's dealing with testaments and the will of God, the living will of God. And he's talking about inheritance. And it takes a mediator to interpret and validate the testament, the Old Testament, and the purchase for the transgression of the people. And you see here that Jesus begins to fulfill all of this because he steps in and he is the mediator in the courtroom. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there is is one mediator uh, between God and man, uh, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, but not only is he the mediator, uh, he is the judge. Uh, he's the judge and the mediator at the same time in the courtroom. Uh, but not only is he the judge and the mediator, uh, he becomes the lamb that pays the price. Uh, and it's the blood that is brought before the throne room of judgment uh, to bring propitiation uh, for us. But not only is it the lamb, uh, he's also the priest uh, that carried his own blood uh, into the holy. Y'all get what I'm saying tonight? Lord, help me get back focused. Verse 16, for where a testament is, talking about the Old Testament, the, 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 just like if you had a, an attorney 
put together a last will and testament. Where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Ooh. God said, this is my will. And way back in the book of Genesis, uh, he takes the coat of skins uh, and the blood, I think, of a lamb uh, is placed on his feet. What is he doing? Uh, he's writing out his last will and testament. Uh, but it's a foreshadow uh, because this blood can only atone. Uh, it can't redeem or bring remission. Uh, but when I come on the scene, uh, I've got to come in flesh uh, because I've got to die uh, before my testament uh, comes into force and when I die and my blood is shed there's going to be a new living will and testament we know it as the new testament and it's not going to be blood of goats and bulls and sheep and lambs but it's going to be the blood of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world verse 18 whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the good, good God. I can't stop here. We'll never get back. And almost all... All things, verse 22, are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these Woo, the blood of the bulls and the goats and the lambs could purify things that were in the earth realm but it took a different kind of blood to purge the things that were in the heavenly all the things on the earth were just a pattern of what was established already this is part of why Jesus prays and says thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it already is in the heavenlies I'm already the lamb slain from the foundation of the world in the heavenlies my blood is already let your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven hallelujah and so there is no question that the Passover was a type of Christ's future death. Are you with me tonight? I'm not going to be long. He is the Lamb of God slain uh, for the sins of the world. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The Bible says that the next day John seeth Jesus coming and said unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, Paul writes and says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. Woo! That ye may be a new lump 
as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Are you connecting the dots tonight? That Christ becomes the Passover lamb. We can see this further fulfilled when you look. The Passover lamb was to be without blemish. Exodus 12 and 5 said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Christ fulfills this scripture because in 1 Peter 1 and 19 it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He fulfills the prerequisite of the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb had to be killed. Exodus 12 and 7 said, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And so Christ fulfills this in Hebrews 9 and 22 through 23. It says that in the heavens that they should be purified, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. He was killed. Uh, he was sacrificed. Uh, they whipped his back. They drove nails in his hands. And so in all of this, Christ is our Passover. And so it is no accident that the Lord's Supper is established during the feast of the Passover. And it becomes a memorial to the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is like foot washing commanded by Christ. Luke chapter 22 verse 19. Some of this is redundant but I'm connecting the dots for you tonight. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it. Gave unto them saying this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. No set time is given in scripture for how often the communion was to be taken, but instructions are given for as often as ye drink it and as often as ye eat it. When you take part in this ritual, do it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 25-26, Paul is referring to this when he says, After the same manner also, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink in remembrance of me. For as oft, often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Music come. I'm almost done tonight. And so the spiritual significance of the communion is this. Number one, it is a commemoration of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. We just read it. When he gave thanks, he broke it, said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's for us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, it is a double look. It is a look backward 
to Christ's death and forward to Christ's return. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. There's the look back. Till he come. This is us looking forward. We look back in gratefulness. And we look forward in hope to his return. Thirdly, the spiritual significance of communion. It is a time of self-examination. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul writes and says, but let a man examine himself. Isn't it something how good we are at examining everybody else? But we're really not very good sometimes at examining ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, if we would practice self-examination before examining our brother or sister, it would probably prevent us from performing the examination on them. I guess I'll preach that another service. But the Lord said, before you worry about the little speck in your brother's eye, you better figure out the log you have stuck in your own eye. Let a man examine himself. It is a time for self-examination. And so, let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. This examination is, is to be done prior to participating in the communion. Bible says if the participant eateth and drinketh unworthily they bring maladies and even death upon themselves. Now I want to explain this for you because over the years I've heard preachers and saints take the, the text out of context and so it'll be time for communion and foot washing and they'll say I'm not worthy because I'm, I'm, I've got things wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy. I, I, I don't want to drink it unworthily. That is not what the scripture is talking about. If you study the text, that word means irreverently. To take the cup and the bread without first reflecting and understanding what it is that we're doing. We don't just show up to service every week and mindlessly take communion and, and bread because it's just something that we do. It's, it's, we're not irreverent. When we partake of the cup and the bread, we take a moment of reflection so that we don't partake irreverently. And here's, here's, here's what you do. Here's part of the process. Here's part of why God's done this. If you've got things that are not right in your heart, get them right. And let that man partake. It is not the intention of God for his people to remain in a place of conflict. And so it is built into this ritual of time of reflection. Moments where we 
remove discord with the body of Christ. Amen, somebody. Discerning the Lord's body has a special significance in communion and foot washing. When you think about discerning, discerning means to ascertain something that might not be perceptible by simple observation. To discern something means that I have to have a different means of sensitivity than what I can see with my eyes. I, I have to have a level of connectivity that allows me to determine and feel after things that, that I can't tell just by looking at you. I know you got a smile on your face and a tie on and a pep in your step, but, but discernment might tell me there's some hurt going on in your heart that I can't tell by looking at you, but because we're connected together, because you're my brother, because we're part of the same body, I, I can sense, I can feel, I can discern that there's something here. And discernment plays a, a critical part of this ritual. It's better understood by Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 because it is here that Paul elaborates on what is meant when he encourages us to discern the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12, he said, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been all made to drink into one spirit. If this does not define what the apostolic New Testament church ought to look like, I don't know what does. Every part of the body looks different. Your finger looks different than your ear and your nose looks different than your mouth and your hair looks different than your kneecap. And, and, and it's diversity. It looks different. It has different objectives. It has different skill set. has different jobs and responsibilities. There, there, there is no place in God's church for division lines that are drawn because of ethnic background and socioeconomic differences and the rich and the poor and the media, middle class and, 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 and the hood rat and, and the hillbilly uh, and the person who grew up on the other side. Come on, somebody. When you are baptized uh, into that one spirit, uh, all of those lines get removed in the body of Christ. Uh, and you're my brother, uh, and I can love you, uh, and we can, come on, the world can't relate. Uh, the world has to separate. Uh, the world walks around, so I don't have nothing in common with them. Uh, I just can't 
can't relate to them. But if you're in the church, all you need is the Holy Ghost to be able to relate with your brother and your sister. Come on, I wish I had a witness in the building. That's why when we we, we get into moments and times when, when there's conflict and discord, what we need is a good dose of the Holy Ghost. What we need is a good prayer meeting. What we need is a good season of fasting to break the carnal influence of the world until we come together in the unity of the body of Christ. It's only then that we can have discernment amongst the body. It's only then that we learn how to not walk by each other callously. It's only then that we quit playing little games where we avoid people in the church and we don't talk to that person. Come on somebody. But we discern the Lord's body and we understand the importance of one another. I may not understand you completely. I may not totally understand you, but I know one thing. I need you in my life. You're part of the body of Christ. And I got news for you. You might not like the way I dress. You might not like the food I eat. You might not like my personal taste in the car I drive, but you need me because I'm part of the body of how can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of thee? How can the head say, come on somebody, come on somebody? And so foot washing and communion is a moment when we come together and we realign ourselves with the body of Christ. And maybe I've been through some things that have had me in conflict. And maybe I've been through a season that's had me separated or divided. These are the seasons and the moments that are designed by God in his word to bring the body of Christ back into you. Uh, back into come on somebody uh. these are some of the reasons why we, we can't miss out these are some of the reasons why we don't just choose uh, I'm not going to participate no 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 you don't understand uh, what you've been baptized into uh, you don't understand you don't have a revelation uh, of how the body uh, of Christ uh, operates You need it more than you think you do. To say that I don't need foot washing is to pridefully say my feet aren't dirty. I walk without mistakes. I walk without error. I walk without failure. But to recognize our need for foot washing is to recognize I make mistakes. I've not always done what I was supposed to do. I had weak, come on, so my feet are dirty. Uh, and so, God, uh, I'm going to humble my pride. Uh, I'm going to come before you, God. Uh, come on, to, to take, to reject communion uh, is to say uh, that I, I don't want to remember what he did for me. Uh, I don't want to commemorate uh, and memorial. I don't want to reflect. Uh, to, to reject communion uh, is to say I don't want to self-reflect. Uh, I don't want to have to examine myself. No. 
no, 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 no. But when you understand what he did for us and why he died and the price he paid, it reminds you all over again, just like the first message you ever heard about the cross, just like the first time you ever heard about him dying for you, that same new convert spirit rises up in you and you crawl to an altar and say, oh God, thank you for your blood. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying the price. It should have been me hanging on the cross. It should have been me that paid the price. But oh God, you made a way for me. We discern the Lord's body. Just as the natural body is designed to heal itself of maladies and infection, the body of Christ is designed to heal itself. There's a healing balm of Gilead that exists in the body of Christ. Wounds can be healed. Empty places can be restored brokenness can be put back together in the presence of God's people. Don't you know the Bible says to restore your brother in a spirit of meekness considering thine own self? The power of restoration is in the body. You can literally uh, bring a healing balm of restoration uh, to somebody who has been destitute uh, and separated. Uh, or for, come on, somebody. Uh, we cannot underestimate uh, the power and the potential uh, of communion and foot washing in the body of Christ. I just want to say this tonight. Because more and more with our connected society social media and the visibility more and more you find saints of God who have lost the revelation of God's word concerning their submission to their pastor and the house of God that God has planted them in and so they start looking at other churches and what they do and what they don't do and, and start comparing. No, no, no. Listen, you need to get your eyes off of everything else and I, I can't control when there's churches that don't do foot washing anymore, that, that don't ever do communion anymore. That uh, hey, Well, why do we got to do it? They never did it, and I never had to do that. Listen, thank God he brought you into a place uh, where you could hear the Word of God like it's supposed to. Uh, uh, come on. Uh, they're not going to stand before God on your behalf. And I refuse to compete with the voices Somewhere we better get a revelation. The part of the plan of God is that we submit ourselves to those that have been put over us by God to give an account for our souls. And so this upcoming Sunday night, we're going to be partaking in foot washing and communion. And I wonder... If we would commit ourselves over the next few days 
four or five days between now and Sunday night to getting ourselves in order so that God can do something special in our lives during foot washing and communion. Come on, somebody. I wonder if over the next four or five days we wouldn't commit ourselves to a time of reflection, a time of prayer where we allowed God to put the mirror of his word like the book of James says in front of us and show us ourselves and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me, oh God. I wonder for a few moments we can lift our hands tonight as we stand all over this house. Come on, as a matter of fact, why, why, why don't you just make your way down for just a few moments? It's early tonight. We're going to be dismissed in a moment, but I wonder if we could just respond to the Word of God in this place for a few moments. And maybe tonight could be the moment that God helps us to, to posture ourselves for the next several days as we prepare to participate in this holy sacrament of God. Would you lift your hands and your voice tonight all over this house? Come on, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we come before you tonight, God our hearts and our hands lifted before you. Woo, you know with our frame, oh God, that we are just dust. God, you understand our frailties and the mistakes that we've made and our shortcomings. God, we humble ourselves before you tonight. We understand that we stand before a holy God tonight. That we stand before a powerful God tonight. A righteous God tonight we understand that our righteousness is as filthy rags before you and so tonight God we we humble ourselves God would you would you talk to us over the next several days God would you work on us over the next several days God we want our ears to be attuned to your voice God we want our heart to be open to your instruction God, we want our spirit to be uh, correctable, oh God. As you speak to us, God, uh, whatever you do, uh, don't turn me over to my own will. God, whatever you do, uh, don't turn me over to my own desires uh, and my own flesh, God. Uh, whatever you do, God, uh, don't turn me over to myself. Uh, but God, I put myself uh, in your hands tonight. I put myself uh, on the altar tonight. Uh, I put myself, oh God, uh, in your hands of grace uh, and mercy, oh God. Woo! Uh, come on, that's it. The Holy Ghost uh, is in this place tonight. Come on. God's already doing a work in this place tonight. God's already doing some heart surgery uh, in this place tonight. God's already doing a work in our spirit tonight. God's already doing a work in our... Somebody, somebody right now needs to lay your hand on your head and begin to pray over your mind tonight. God, I need you to touch my thoughts. God, I need you to, to refresh my mind and let this same mind be in me that's in you, God. I need you to touch my way of thinking. God, I need you to lay your hand uh, on my thoughts. Uh, woo, come on.